If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, we're going to be looking at the last few verses of Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Before we read God's Word, let's pray together. Hosanna, save now, deliver now, rescue now. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. We thank you that you are not a God who is evasive, who hides, who is distant. We thank you that you reveal yourself through your living word, and it is as sharp as a sword. We pray, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit with power. The same Holy Spirit that inspired your word, we pray that he would illuminate it, that it would be on fire for us in our hearts. We pray that as we read and as your word is preached, you would work and you would transform and we would be conformed to the very image of your dear Son. Lord God, we thank you for the resurrection, that Jesus Christ has conquered our final and greatest enemies, sin and death, and we pray that we would live that resurrection. We pray that that resurrection would be real to us today. We pray that we would remember that the resurrection introduces the explosion of a new worldview for Christians, for disciples, for those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. So teach us, transform us by the power of your word and spirit as we continue to worship you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. I've been a pastor for a number of years, and I've often had this question. Where's Jesus in all of this? Where is God? And it could be young or old, junior high, high school, college, uh, toward the end of your life. Where's, where's God? Where's Jesus? This little meeting 
of 11 disciples on the mountain where Jesus had told them to go is astounding. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, let's sit right down uh, on these three words for a minute. These are men who are Jesus' best friends. They've seen him do miracles. They're standing in the presence of the risen Messiah, the anointed one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But some doubted. I find that, in, in, in one sense, very encouraging. That these men could doubt. These men could struggle. You know, the, the Bible is, a, is the holy, inerrant, inspired word of God, but it's also the most honest book ever written. That Matthew would include this as he's giving a witness, an account to the resurrection, that he would actually say, that he would record... For the rest of history, that some of these disciples were, were wondering, they were struggling, they were doubting, but he sort of leaves us hanging. Who? How many? Did they ever resolve their issues? We don't know. But this is one of those passages that, that proves that the Bible is honest. It is God's Word. Now, Jesus didn't hesitate. We, we know this. Jesus didn't hesitate to give evidence, physical evidence, for his resurrection. He said to his disciples, Touch me. Eat with me. See me. I'm appearing. Put your hands in my scars, my wounds, Thomas. I have conquered the grave. Jesus has nothing against proofs. And we've heard it, and we've heard it, many of us have, have heard it over and over. Seeing is believing. And have you ever heard anybody say this? If Jesus would just show himself to me, I would believe. Not here. If Jesus would just somehow prove empirically and physically that he exists, I would believe. You remember the, that that great theologian, what that great theologian Woody Allen uh, once said, that prove your existence to me, God, by putting a large sum of money in my name in a Swiss bank account, then I'll believe in you. And we've heard those kinds of things lots. Prove it. Do something that I can recognize. Um, I'm going to admit something to you. I watched... I didn't get up early, but I did watch. You know what I'm going to say. I'm not going to tell you because you already think you know. I watched the royal wedding. Your, your opinion of me has changed. Maybe, I don't know whether it's good or bad. I, I watched it later on my laptop. And, you know, I've done a lot of weddings, been involved in a lot of weddings. And, and this is history. I love history. I'm a history major. And there's so much symbolism there, quite frankly, that's biblical. A, a Christian wedding, a wedding under the auspices of the church, is, is in one sense, no matter who the people are, a picture of the gospel. A, a woman 
is called to give up her, her name, her, her last name. A man is called to give up his life like Christ did for his bride, the church. But I, I wonder, I wonder if before this service, they're never going to admit, I wonder if there was any, any whatsoever, uh, and I know a lot of you young girls watched, I, I, I wonder if there was any doubt whatsoever in their minds, am I doing the right thing? You know, some of these royal marriages have not worked out so well. I wonder, if you're married, do you remember your wedding day? Were you absolutely sure without a doubt that this is the person? I see various noddings of heads that are responding all kinds of different ways. The the point here is, look, Jesus can offer proofs. He can offer evidence. He can offer reason. It's the same way in our own relationships. But we'll never know the truth of any relationship until we commit. Until there is a relational investment. Commitment. And that's what we're seeing here. Jesus. Look what Jesus does in response. Some worship, some doubted. And then Jesus came to them. Jesus came to them and he spoke. He came to them and he he didn't say, what do you mean you're doubting? What do you mean you have questions? What do you mean you're wondering? What's wrong with you? Here I am. He comes to them. He comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Essentially what he does, he assures these men, wherever they are, by saying, in the midst of this incredible event, you have an authority, you have a mission, you have a community, But most of all, and we'll see this in a minute, most of all, you have me. You have an authority, a mission, a community, but most of all, you have me. You have an authority. Several years ago, I'm going to age myself a little bit here. You remember those, um, and maybe some of you young people have seen these in museums, these round black things that had a little hole in the middle, and they were real flat, and you put them on a, and you put a needle, and they play music. You know, they're called records made out of vinyl or wax or whatever. I was in a record store, and I think there were maybe some um, CDs or some other things in there too, but I was looking through the records in a certain section. I felt this presence right next to me. And I turned, and, and there was this person I didn't know. There was this woman there, and she said, and I happened to be standing in front of the... Um, the Moody Blues section, if any of you have ever heard of the Moody Blues. And I was standing in front of the Moody Blues. It's very interesting music. I grew up in, I'll admit, I grew up in Dallas and I saw many, many concerts. I saw everybody, evidence of a misspent youth. I saw (laughs) many people coming through Dallas and I saw all these concerts. Anyway, I'm looking at these records and this girl says, do you like the Moody Blues? And I said, well, yeah, I, I sort of like the Moody Blues. And she said, I'll never forget this. 
She said, they are so in touch with the elusive it. <laughs> and I backed away slowly. <laughs> okay, you know, who wants to know? Um, they are so in touch with you. For her, whatever's out there is unclear. You know anybody like that? Maybe, that's, maybe it's that way for you. Maybe you're wrestling with things. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. I hope, I hope that you're bringing your doubts with you. If you're doubting and wrestling, that's, this is a place you can do that. There's, the, Jesus makes very clear here. His authority is not elusive. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, secondly, th this word authority, this, this word authority doesn't necessarily bring about in us a warm, comforting, assuring feelings. Authority. Who's your authority? By whose authority? Have you worn the proper authorities? But that's exactly what Paul does. In the, in the little letter of Philippians, Paul is in jail. And for all he knows, he's about to die. And he writes a letter to the Philippians, and he thanks them for supporting his missionary efforts. And he's in jail. And, and many of you know Philippians. It's full of thankfulness and exuberance and joy. Even though Paul is writing from prison. And Paul is able to be full of thankfulness and joy in all circumstances because of what he has come to understand about authority. Particularly the, the authority that Jesus has because of his resurrection. Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant in human likeness. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And throughout this little letter, there's a contrast between worldly authorities of Rome, of Caesar, and the authority of God through Jesus Christ. And in many ways, Paul sums all of this up, and I'm paraphrasing by saying... Caesar says, give me your life, and I'll protect you. Jesus says, give me your life, because I gave mine for yours. Only God can do that. There is no other authority like that. Give me your life, because I gave my life for you. Where is Jesus right now? The bodily resurrected Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? We know he lives in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, the comfort that he and the Father sent, but he is standing in the presence of his Father, talking about you if you're a Christian. 
and how much he loves you. I hope we never cease to be amazed. He is your advocate. He is the right hand of the, of the Father. Right hand means it's an image for authority. And you are, you are on his mind. And his lips. He speaks to the Father in our defense, John says. Peter, 1 Peter 3, he, he is at God's right hand with the angel, the authorities and powers, and they are all in submission to him. That he's saying to those disciples and he's saying to us, he's a promise to you. No matter where you are as a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ alone for your salvation. Secondly, you have not only an authority, but you have a mission. Therefore, go. The resurrection doesn't mean escape from the world. It means mission to the world because of the authority of Christ. The resurrection doesn't... We don't look at the resurrection and think, oh, great, we can escape. That's our hope, to escape. The resurrection doesn't mean... And resurrection life for Christians now doesn't mean escape from the world. It means mission to the world because of the lordship over the world of Jesus Christ. In his authority. And he wants to use us. Spread the word. Are you doubting and struggling? Here's a bit of advice. Even if you're not. Let me put it this way. We're getting to be friends. I'm going to be frank with you. I met with a lot of men over the years. And they'll say something like this. I'm just not happy. And then I, I know it's coming and it comes a lot. My wife just is not fulfilling me. I know this is not everybody's circumstance, but we all do these kinds of things. I, I'm just not fulfilled. The people around me aren't doing what I need them to do. I'm just not happy. And, and one of my pieces of advice quite often is, it's not very profound counseling technique. I, I ask, how, how long has it been since you've served somebody and done something for someone? But for all of us, we're called not to just go and think great thoughts about the resurrection. We're called to get swept up in the, to this explosion of this new worldview and to go do something for other people. And for you, it might be, as you seek to spread the gospel, it might be hospitality. It might be serving in some way. It might be going downtown to get involved in some inner city ministry. Whatever it is that your, your gifts or, or, or talents are. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. You can commit to, to praying. But he's saying this makes a difference. You can do something as simple as just inviting somebody into your small group, into your home. There's a large church, church in the Northeast. I won't say which church. And they, they spend a lot of money and time doing research on how to get people to come to their church. And they thought, they assumed it was programs and ministries for children, for men, for women. Maybe it's music, style of worship. 
And they did all of this research, and the overwhelming response came back. Why? What circumstance would cause you to visit our church? Overwhelmingly and simply it was, well, if somebody invited me. You can do any number of things. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Give, serve, commit yourself. Thirdly, community. Make disciples, but then there's go to the place and be among the people where there's baptizing and teaching. You're not made. So often when we have our greatest struggles, we isolate ourselves or we isolate ourselves from the people who need us most. We are made to need to grow in community. Where is Jesus now? Physically, bodily, is at God's right hand. Where do we find Jesus? In his body, the church, the community, which he died for. He gave his life. Jesus gave his life for the church. He gave his life for his bride, the church. And we grow in community. Let let me be a little uh, self-referential here to, to say something about myself and something I recently experienced. Several months ago, my father called me. My father in, in, in Texas, and um, it was one of the very special moments that we'd had in, in a long time. He, he called me, he's in his 80s, and said, Brad, would you do my funeral? When I die, would you do my funeral? And at the time, he was doing okay, but shortly thereafter, he, he died, and I was able to go home and spend some time with him, some really... <coughs> Wonderful time with my father before he died. And then to do his funeral. But just a little, little bit of history. My dad was a, a professor, PhD, a pastor. But my, uh, my parents were divorced when I was 16. Now, we had issues and problems in our family. I'm sure you don't. Everything's fine in your families, no problems. But we had issues in our family, and, and that was difficult. And you talk about doubt for me. So what's Christianity all about? And it was a great, great struggle for many years. But you know what changed me? A group of men. And I was, a, I was struggling, I was wrestling, I wasn't a very pleasant person. Um, my wife's done a lot for me over the years, I'm much more pleasant now. Uh, the, a group of men came alongside of me and those guys changed my life. They showed me what it is to be a Christian. It wasn't very profound, they just loved me, took me to church, invited me to Bible studies. And it, it absolutely changed my, my life. And I decided shortly thereafter, as I was continuing to wrestle, to go to seminary. I, I never wanted to be a minister. Yeah, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be, because that's what happened to my dad. And so I, but I needed to work through things at the seminary. So I went to this 
Reform Seminary in, in Jackson. The very first day, a professor named Willem van Gemmeren, uh, this very intimidating beard, you know, in Dutch accent, he says, write something on a piece of paper, tell me about yourself. And everybody in the class did that. And the next morning, second day of class, he comes in and he looks right at me. And he says with his beard and his uh, Dutch accent, he looks right at me and says, Brad Mercer, your father was my professor at Moody Bible Institute in 1963. And I, whoa. And I got to know him, and we, I learned a lot about my dad as a, as a teacher and, and was still struggling with my dad. But little, little did I know, at the same time, there was a group of men that had known my dad for many, many years, and they didn't let him go. And they went after my dad, and they prayed for dad, and they called him. And at the end of his life, a group of men in his life, a group of men in my life, we came full circle. Yeah, you came full circle, and um, um, uh, the Lord worked in both of our lives right, right before dad died. But it was community. It was a community of men. It was a community of Christians working in his life, working in my life, that kind of brought us full circle right before he died. And Jesus is saying, you have that. You have that available to you as a Christian. Are you, are you taking advantage of that, whether you're young or old, male or female, married, unmarried? Maybe you've lost your husband or wife, they've, they've passed away, whatever. Community, Jesus is saying. And then finally, um, he says, you have me. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I still like, and I think it's a better, many times it's not a better translation, but the, the King James, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the world. I am with you. You have me every moment of every day for the rest of your life and all eternity. That is a promise. Yeah, it's hard. I know, I know. It's hard sometimes. You don't feel his presence, and you, but he's making you a promise if you're a believer. And by the way, sometimes we think... He is with me as individuals. Americans tend to think this way. He's with me as an individual. And that, that's fine. He is with you as an individual. But this you, I am with you always. I am with you always. It's actually plural. And in the South, other parts of the country, they don't have that word. We have a plural for you. It's called y'all. I am with y'all always, is what he's saying. I am with y'all all of you, as a community, as a body, as a group, I will never leave you or forsake you. The cross looks like a dead end to those living at the time and to many living in our time. It looks like a dead end. It looks like a, a loss, anything but a victory, but that's what it is. Pa Remember what, what Paul said, power is perfected in weakness. 
And victory comes through the cross, through defeat. I love the question. This is a preview. We're going to do more of this um, coming up if you're interested. Um, I love the question that that C.S. Lewis, we're going to do some things on C.S. Lewis. The question that C.S. Lewis asked, is Christianity hard or easy? How would you answer that? Is Christianity hard or easy? Well, he says, the ordinary idea which we have all come to as we become Christians is this, or even if we're on our way to becoming Christians, is this. Uh, We start with ourselves and our interests and our desires, and we admit that something else needs to come in, morality or decent behavior or the good of society or something. And then we recognize that there are things that are wrong and things that are right. We're supposed to do the things that are right, and we're not supposed to do the things that are wrong. But if we stop there, he says this, the more you obey your conscience, the more your conscience will demand of you. And you, you will wear yourself out trying to climb that ladder to be good enough, to be active enough, to do this or that enough. To climb your way, to earn your way, to merit your way to heaven. And eventually you'll just give up being good. Or you'll live for others and develop this comparison sort of martyr uh, complex. You know, the people that aren't happy unless they're miserable. And he comes up with this epitaph for, for a woman like this, erected by her sorrowing brothers in the memory of Martha Clay. Here's one who lived for others. Now she is at peace, and so are they. He, said, he goes on to say the Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and your money and your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. I want it out altogether. Hand over the whole natural self with all its desires that you think are innocent and innocent and the ones that you think are wicked. Give me it all. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My will will become yours. J.C. Ryle, if you've ever read the book Holiness, it's worth putting on your list. A wonderful book. I want to close with this. He addresses, he's talking about this assurance that we all have as Christians. We have an authority, we have a mission, we have a community, and we have Jesus Christ, and he has us. Listen to what he says. This assurance will enable a man to praise God and be thankful, even in prison, like Paul. This assurance will enable a man to sleep, even though death awaits him the next day, like Peter. This assurance can make a man rejoice to, to suffer for Christ's sake. Rejoice to suffer for Christ's sake, like the apostles. This assurance enables us to feel that the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt is a paid debt. 
The great disease is a healed disease. The great work, a finished work. All other diseases, businesses, debts, and works are then, by comparison, small. This assurance sweetens bitter cups, lessens the burdens of crosses, smooths the rough places, and lightens even the valley of the shadow of death. It makes us feel as though we always have something solid under our feet, firm in our hands, and a friend by the way, and a sure home at the end. Sometimes we limit this passage just to the Great Commission, and that's a big part of it. But it's a great assurance. It's great promises. It's great blessings. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Pray with me.